0: right. well it's good to be back with you, I've been gone for a little bit and uh, it's always good to have an opportunity to engage in a conversation at church instead of just doing this monologue thing over and over again. And uh, before we get to any of that, uh, my father served in uh, Her Royal Majesty's Royal Canadian Air Force. I was actually born in Germany when my dad was stationed over there and I was thankful that my father never saw combat, but I'm incredibly proud of the fact that he built a foundation of freedom that I use every single weekend when I show up here with the name of Jesus and a Bible in my hand. And I'm thankful for that. And I want to make sure, because the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due, that we honor those people, especially here on Veterans Day. So, if you have served or are currently serving, in any branch of the United States military, I would ask that you would do us the honor of standing to your feet so that we can recognize you, that we can say thank you, and that we can acknowledge the fact that you're here. Would you stand if you are? Ah, there they are. Awesome. Thank you. Right on. I love the fact we have a congregation that talks back, and last year I got a letter from a lady uh, from our church who said, Grant, I want to remind you of something, that the veterans are not the only ones who sacrifice, but the families who stay behind also have a huge amount of sacrifice in order to allow their loved one to go and to serve their country. So if you're here as a family member of one of those veterans or active services, from my heart to yours, on behalf of our whole church family, we thank you so much for what you are doing in order to make this possible for the rest of us. Can we thank the families as well? I think it's just good. Awesome. So I think this is the third one of these that we have done. So over the last weeks, we have done a series called Taboo. We have dove into some of the deepest darkest and most difficult topics that I have ever tried to preach on in my 20-plus years as a pastor. You guys gave the topics. Thank you very much for the challenge of having to walk through those. And then on a couple of different occasions, we just kind of threw it open and said, hey, you may have questions. You probably have questions because one thing I know is the communicator of Christ the King is not a perfect communicator and he misses stuff all of the time. And so we think Christianity should be a dialogue where we get an opportunity to talk back and forth to each other. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. We're actually going to engage in a discussion tonight. Um, If you've never been here for one of these, basically this is how it works. I don't have any prep. I don't know what the questions are. I've got my old man glasses and my Bible with me. That's all I got. Um, And some of the scriptures that we covered in all of the last uh, 10 weeks or so as we've covered these. And so I want to give you an opportunity to throw some questions. The number is at the top of your outline. And so right now, I mean, I want to encourage you um, because what we try and do is each one of the services, we splice them all together. We don't have the same questions at each one, so I don't get advanced prep for tomorrow morning. You can send in a question right now. Let me say a few things about the questions. Number one, um, the most difficult thing about doing this is I have no context for your question because I don't have a clue who's asking that. So you're going to need to give me a little bit of grace when it comes to, I'm going to do my best to try and, and, and anticipate where you're coming from. Um, So that needs to be said. Uh, There are no perfect answers. And my prayer is that you'll hear more Scripture than you'll hear anything else as we do these series together. And as well, I just also want to say there are some answers that we're never going to get this side of heaven. We we need to know that. The the Scripture describes it as mystery. There's just things that we don't know. We don't have a complete understanding. So I'm going to give you the best answer that I can give on this side of heaven and pray that you'll give me the grace to realize that God's going to fill in all the blanks and answer all the questions somewhere down in the future, and I'm really looking forward to those days. So um, uh, there's the number at the bottom, 360-285-3560. They already put up the first question. I don't know what it is. Here we go, but let me review for you what we've covered. We covered addiction week number one. We covered divorce The second week, we covered death and dying. That was a nice light one um, for everybody to to sit through. We talked about suicide. We talked about racism. We talked about hell. We talked about hostility. And we talked about universalism, okay? Heavy stuff. But hopefully there's some questions right now. And if you don't have any questions, uh, that means we all get to go home early tonight. And that'll be awesome. So um, these nights, these weekends seem like a great idea about four weeks before we actually do them. And then I come and sit in this chair, and I'm like, what in the world were we thinking to stick me up here? And uh, if you need empathy, um, someday you can volunteer to change spots with me, and we'll go with that. Okay, that would be awesome. That's good. Okay, so you said in your divorce sermon that there were three reasons for divorce, adultery, abuse, or abandonment. Would you also add addiction to that list? Why or why not? Okay, let's deal with that first of all. So... um, I didn't make up the list, okay, I didn't just create three reasons why it's okay to get divorced. I want to put that caveat around that, that in the, in the sermon we actually talked about there were three biblical grounds for divorce. And I want to remind you that what came with that as well was that God established in His Word, specifically out of the book of Malachi where God says, I hate divorce. I don't hate divorced people, I hate divorce because of what it does. That out of God's heart for that, there were three, what what Scripture calls, regrettable permissions. And we need to understand that. It's a regrettable permission. It's not what God wants. It's not what God desires. But that there were three basic areas. There was adultery, specifically, there was abuse, and there was abandonment. That God, either directly or indirectly in Scripture, said, said, The covenant has been broken. Now, I want to remind people of this as well. Just because the covenant has been broken doesn't mean you need to go out and get a divorce. Do we get that? Because there's this other thing in play in this whole deal. It's called God's grace. And I know this is difficult for people to wrap their minds around a little bit, but there are couples in this church who have survived adultery because of God's grace, and they're still together. I've done a marriage in this church where a man abandoned his family and was gone for two years, disappeared, relinquished the covenant, walked away, and then Jesus got a hold of him picked him up by the collar, dragged him back to his family where he asked for forgiveness and then over a long period of time of rebuilding trust to the tune of seven and a half years, he showed that he was repentant, that he was contrite, he confessed his sin and I got to do their remarriage. Okay, God still does miracles. Okay, in the case of abuse, We have to be so unbelievably careful for that because I said something in the message caused a bit of a ripple, but I believe it absolutely to be true. The second anyone raises their hand to their spouse, they broke the covenant, not you. And God doesn't expect you to put yourself in harm's way for the sake of honoring a promise that that your spouse, your abusive spouse, already broke. Okay? So, there's three biblical reasons for divorce. Now, not saying that you have to exercise any of them because God's grace can be bigger. We have to get that as well. Um, would you also add addiction to the list? Okay, it's not my job to add anything to the list or take away anything to the list. Amen? I mean, the book of Revelation said if I add, if I add anything to the Word of God, I actually get judged for that. And teachers actually get judged more harshly than anybody else. So, if you want my job, go for it, okay? Okay. Um, but why, would, why or why not? I think we need to understand this. If the addiction, and I'm assuming that you're talking about, so your spouse has an addiction and, and, and it's painful and you're living with the ramifications of that addiction and they won't repent and they won't leave it behind and they won't bring it under the lordship of Christ, then what do you do with that? Well, I would actually put that under the category of abusive where a person chooses to engage in destructive behavior over and over and over again, and they show no sign of walking away from it, that's rebellion against God. And God says that we're not allowed to rebel. That's not how it's supposed to work. So then I would actually put that underneath of the banner of abusive. And I would say that you have a biblical grounds. Now, I think the question that we need to ask always is this. It's not what feels right to us that matters. It's what God says is true that matters. And we need to keep coming back to that over and over and over again. And we also need to understand that if a person is asking for forgiveness, that God said, we're to forgive as the Lord forgave us, which means... We're not the benchmark here. It's God's authority that's the benchmark every single time. So I wouldn't add addiction to the list because it's not my list to add to, but I would say if you're in that situation and addiction is actually abusive to you and you're suffering on behalf of it, then I believe you would have biblical grounds with one more caveat. It's not about getting my permission that matters. You have to go to God. You got to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, is this what you want me to do? Have you given me freedom from this relationship? So he's the final authority, not me, okay? I'm a messed up kid that grew up in Canada, okay? So it's just like grace, all right, all right, okay. Let's go to the next one. What are some practical ways I can keep social media conversations civil? (laughs) Throw your keyboard in the water. And don't ever put it back. Um, okay, so I'm assuming that came from Todd's week when he talked about hostility, which the world is full of, right? I mean, it's a hostile environment. You can't say anything on social media um, without getting some kind of a reaction or pushback. And people, it, it, it actually, it amazes me. I mean, I post, I'll post post scripture on, on my Facebook feed, and people will argue with it, in all caps, right? It's just like, really? Okay. You're, you realize you're not picking a fight with me, right? Jesus wrote all the verses. I didn't write the verses. So you're picking a fight with the wrong person. But I think the key is this. What are some practical ways that I can keep social media conversation civil? I'm not sure you can keep social media conversation civil. So I would say we should go biblical, Okay. And biblical, it's amazing. There is friction and conflict in the New Testament between two primary leaders in the new church. And I love the verse from the, I believe it's in the book of Acts where it says that one of them went to the other one and opposed him to his face. You know what our society needs today? We all need to grow some Courage. And if you won't say it to somebody face to face as a follower of Jesus, what business do you have hiding behind your keyboard and typing whatever you want to? I hear. Thank you. I got one amen from the back. I appreciate it. Because I want to remind you of something else. You know, people keep saying this all the time, right? I'm offended. Can I tell you something? Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. So let's keep the right conversation with the right kind of people. If you actually love them and care enough about them to have a conflict, you should be able to sit down and have a civil conversation. My answer would be, to keep them mostly civil, is uh, if you engage someone that's already ang- angry, all you're going to do is enrage them even more. doesn't work. And the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, and I will modernize it, or out of your fingers. You want to know what I get offended by? I get offended by Christians speaking in an un-Jesus-like way on social media because they think that they can say whatever they want to as long as they're not attached to it. Can I tell you something? Here's an interesting thought. Jesus knows everything you're going to type before it comes out of your fingers, And the Bible says we will be held accountable for every single word. So I would encourage us to do this. Maybe we need to lay it all down and get back to talking like family. Which means I would ask this, you got a problem with me? Come and talk to me. If I got a problem with you, I'll come and talk to you. I think we owe that to each other. That's why God gave us one mouth and two ears can you do that math? Like you got that right? He also gave you 10 digits, which means you have 10 times the probability of getting in trouble with them. So (laughs) I think it's important that we actually do these things biblically with each other. And Scripture says if you've got an offense with someone, you're not even supposed to make an offering before God, which means this. If you've got an issue with somebody, what were you doing worshiping and giving back your tithes and offerings tonight? My, my finance team's going to kill me for that answer, but I'm going to tell you something. Because you know what your Bible says you should have done? You should have left your offering at the altar, gone, and be reconciled to whoever you need to be reconciled with, it, and then come back with a pure heart and a clean conscience because Jesus would celebrate your obedience. Let's just go with Jesus on that whole thing, okay? So, um, just so you know, uh, I don't use my Facebook as a way of responding to anybody, I try to post things that are encouraging. I try to post things that mean something. Often I will ask you to pray for me. If you checked it out at all this afternoon, I'm just like getting ready to do an Ask Me Anything. I need people to pray because I don't want to do any harm and I want Jesus to speak through me. Well, that takes a miracle every time it happens. So we have to keep it positive. We've got to keep the dialogue moving in the right direction. And I'll tell you what, you want to just bless God's heart sometimes. Say, you know what, it appears we're having some conflict here. Could we meet face to face? Because there's another thing about social media that you can't, that, that actually breeds hostility towards people. You can't tell whether or not I'm typing with a frown or a smile. True? And I could be saying something that I'm actually saying with a smile. If you interpret it the wrong way, then we both have a trou- have problems. God actually told us how to do this. Matthew 18. Okay? I would encourage all of us all to read that before we sit down at a computer next time. Cool? All right. Will God forgive America and its founding fathers for slavery? Wow. Will God forgive America and its founding fathers for slavery? I can't speak for the founding fathers. I wasn't there. But I will say this America will be forgiven if it will get on its knees and repent. I can't confess or own the sin of another human being, but I can feel deeply in my heart the wound that that caused. Which means I can humble myself. And there are times, I'll be honest with you when I've had to apologize on behalf of the church. If you were here last weekend, Pastor Lem did that. He apologized on behalf of the church because the truth is this, the church has done a lot of damage over its history. And sometimes we can own things, but, but we need to understand this biblically. I can't own the sin of another person, but I can feel the wound and the hurt. So my friend Darius, who I talked about in the racism, uh, in the racism message, I feel his wound in a way that I never felt before after I listened to his story. After he talked about how his elderly grandmother still cries when she tells the stories of what it was like to watch her father be told that he wasn't allowed to drink out of a fountain because his skin was the wrong color, and that happened in this country. And I had to confess to Darius, I said, I've been a, I've been a lousy friend. I've never asked you about the hurt and the wound. I believe God will forgive America if we're willing to repent on any, on any sin, and that's what it is. Racism is sin, period. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, thank you. It's a sin, and the only way to deal with sin is to repent. You have to confess it. You have to repent. And then you have to ask God for forgiveness. And God says that He will give that out freely. As far as the founding fathers go, I think we all need to admit, if you've taken one history class, that there was a certain level of hypocrisy that came along with presenting freedom and that every man was created equal inside of a system in which it wasn't. And we may not be able to repent of that sin, but we can make sure that we live to that ideal and that ideology that all men and women are created equal. And we can make sure that on our watch, we make sure that we are judged by the content of our character and not the color of our skin. All right? Tough question. Wow. Anybody else want to change spots right now? That would be fantastic. <laughs> Okay, what does the Bible say about marriage after divorce? Are there situations when it can be blessed by God and situations when it would be outside of His blessing? So, first of all, I think we need to understand this. Just like as in the example of suicide, I don't believe that divorce is the unforgivable sin. According to Scripture, blaspheming the Holy Spirit which I would interpret as dying as a rebel without repentance, without repenting of that, that's unforgivable. Because God does draw lines in time. God does draw lines in space. God does draw lines between love and justice. He does. I know that's not politically correct. I don't care. The Bible says that in order to have perfect love, you have to have perfect justice. And people don't like to marry those two together, but God somehow finds a way to do that perfectly every single time. Okay? So I don't believe that divorce is unforgivable. So I don't believe you need to wear a a scarlet D. Okay? I don't think that's the way that it works. Now, if you remember this, in the the actual service itself, I talked about the fact that we need to own what we need to own. Because nobody, to my knowledge, is perfectly innocent in any situation because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. True? Okay? So... Um, we need to own what we needed to own as part of that broken situations. And I believe that when a covenant has been broken, that God can not only put the covenant back together between the two people who broke it, but they can also reestablish a covenant. Again, when the hearts are contrite and when the hearts are pure and when the consciences are clean. And so... um, I would say, can a second marriage be blessed by God? Yes, if the two people inside of it are blessable. And you want to know how you're blessable? It's when you're obedient, it's when you're humble, it's when you've cleaned your side of the street, and when you've sought forgiveness even with somebody that you couldn't live with. So, let me give you a modern day example, okay, that's living itself out right in in, in, in our congregation congregation right now. relationship came together. They worked really, really hard, exhausted many, many levels. One of them had biblical grounds. After a long period of time, a lot of godly counsel, they worked together, they did all the work, and both came to a place where they felt like the, 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 where the relationship was, was irreparable. So they made a decision to get divorced, and they were both heartbroken over the fact that that's where it ended up. There's a very small portion of the population that actually celebrates a divorce at the end of it. For most people, they will tell you it's horrible. It's the ripping of one flesh in half, and it does damage to both sides. But after much counsel and seeking, they made the decision that the covenant had been broken, that it was irreparable, and so they went their own separate ways. Um, I've had the privilege of actually working with both couples, both parts of the original couple, as God has brought into their life other people. And one of the most beautiful moments that I ever experienced was the two of them coming back together again in the original couple, coming back together in my office and asking each other for forgiveness for what what precipitated their divorce. And they actually not only asked for forgiveness, but sought each other's blessing in the new relationships that they were both in. And then we treated both of those new relationships as brand new territory, and they both went through hard, difficult premarital counseling because I'll tell you what, doing it the second time is harder than doing it the first time, and they did all of that work. And here's what's crazy. They actually both attended each other's weddings when they got married. Now I look at that and I say, only Jesus is that good. And only Jesus can make that even possible. Now, I'm not saying that's possible for everybody. It may not be. And this is a difficult one. But once again, I'm going to say this. Can it be blessed by God? Yes, I believe that it can be blessed by God. But you need to ask God if you've got His blessing, not the pastor of Christ the King Church. Okay? You need to go to Him in prayer and fasting, you need to seek His face. You need to be humble and broken before Him. And you need to say, God, I'm not going to take a step forward just because it feels right to me and I'm lonely. I'm only going to take a step ahead because You bless and sanction this relationship. And I'm going to be really, really careful because the Bible also says there's a, right, there's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end it leads to death. I need to make sure this is God's idea and not mine. Okay? So I'm a believer in a God of second chances. I'm looking around the room right now and I can see a number of couples that are here and I did your wedding and it was a second opportunity for God's grace and the fact that you're here tonight together just thrills my heart because I believe God's grace can cover the biggest heartbreak of our lives. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing this because I have, I have been an offense to God over and over and over again. And His response to me is always grace and forgiveness if I'm willing to humble myself. So it always keeps coming back to the foot of the cross. I got, I got ridiculed one time because we put the cross in the middle of the, in the, middle of the church and they said that they, we were slowly working it out of the room, <laughs> that it started on the stage and then it's in the middle of the room and the next thing you know, Grant, it's going to be in the commons and then it's going to be uh, stapled to the front of the building and then it's going to be gone all together. Can I tell you why we decided to put the cross in the center of the room? It's so that we would always remember that we're all equal in need of a Savior underneath of that cross, okay? And there's no, there's no qualifications here with regards to whose sins are more serious, okay? Every sin I've ever committed cost Jesus his life. So we put the cross in the center. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm not going to promise you it's always going to stay there. You can come back next week and it might be over here. Someday, if you come on Good Friday, I'm going to stick it right in the middle of the, of the preaching platform because it needs to crush me every time that I, that I dare to preach about it. But we put it there to remind everybody we're all equal in need. It's probably going to move around some more. But we want people to understand that all of the answers to these difficult questions, the solutions are found there not here. The solutions are found here, not here. And we have to go to God and ask His permission and His blessing. He's the only one. He's the only one that can give you that blessing. So go to Him and ask Him. Do I believe there's hope after divorce? Yes, I do. Thank you, God, that you're a God who's big enough to cover that stuff too. Okay, next one. The people who commit suicide go to hell. Okay, so I actually covered this one in the message. I think you'll remember this, right, um, if you were here that particular weekend. And, and my answer to that is, well, let, let, me, let me answer it this way. So once again, I'm going to say that I don't believe that suicide is the unforgivable sin. Now, people make this reasoning when it comes to suicide. Well, a person decided to play God, they took their own life, and they didn't have an opportunity to repent, so therefore, they died with an unrepentant heart, and therefore, they have to go to hell. I don't believe that's true because uh, I don't know of anybody else that was ever there to the extent that Jesus was there in the final moments of anybody's life. I think Jesus was there, and I think Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And the last time I checked, only Jesus gets to judge anybody. Okay? So, I think we have to be careful, and I would answer that question with these words, for I am convinced. It's not I'm just quietly motivated. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus saith the Lord, not Grant Fishbuck. okay? So it says nothing can separate us. I think the hard thing for us to reconcile is how can somebody get that despondent and that broken and lose that much hope? Can I tell you something? As a pastor, I see it all the time, and believe it or not, that's why we're here, because we're supposed to notice, and we're supposed to care, and we're supposed to be the givers of life when somebody is hurting that much. That weekend, I'll tell you what, you know what my greatest joy that weekend was standing up here after the front, praying for people who had lost hope, and being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and looking them in the eye, and saying, Jesus told you what He wants. He said, choose life. life that He told you what your decision needs to be. Choose life. Now, there are some people and some faith traditions who will actually say that, that because suicide is a mortal sin, that it therefore damns somebody to hell because that's different than a venial sin. I'm going to go back to my last argument. I don't believe in categories of sin. I believe every sin costs Jesus' life. The big ones, the little ones... The socially acceptable ones and the ones that are not. I read my Bible this morning. Believe it or not, gossip, gluttony, and greed are all under the banner of sin. And we see those all over the place, don't we? And it's easy to diagnose somebody else at the end of their life and not be willing to look at the plank in our own eye. So I don't believe it's a biblical position to say that people who committed suicide, are doomed to hell because nothing can separate us. I would also say this, I'm going to reiterate something I said in in, in the suicide message. If you commit suicide, your answer to that pain will cause a lifetime of pain for the people who love you for the rest of their life. You want to know why, Su- why Christmas and Thanksgiving are really difficult for some families? It's because they're missing family members. And it's a reminder constantly. And often the enemy will use that as a shame button to say, you should have noticed, you should have asked, you weren't good enough, you weren't big enough. By the way, when the devil talks to you about this, you remind him of his future. I love saying that sin. It's not original to me. The next time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And you say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you learn the lesson and you do it different. Okay? This is what I know. God is good, right, just, and fair. And He has the final word even to people who reach that level of despondency. I'm not saying that to make it easy for anybody because God said in his word, choose life. You want to know my heart for you and the heart of this church for you? Choose life. We need you. We love you. You matter. You matter in this family. You're not invisible to us. We're trying to see. So do this journey with us. Do this journey with us. Is it really 7 o'clock? Wow. Okay. Somebody said that with passion. Yes, it is. <laughs> get off the stage, Grant. You're done. Woo! <laughs> you have no idea how much I want to do that. Okay, so let's do one more. Here's also what I knew about this. I knew none of these questions were going to be light. Like, can we have like, can we have some fun ones? But because we limited them to the taboo topics, it's going to be a heavy weekend. Saturday night, you guys get the raw and censored version. Please pray. Like, please pray. Or come and join me up here. Okay, last one. Out of all the topics in this series, which one was the hardest for you to talk about? (sighs) Um, I've dealt with addiction in my own life. I'm not divorced, but the only reason is the grace of God and the grace of my incredible wife. I had 10 immediate family members diagnosed with cancer in about a two-and-a-half-year period. We lost six of them, and I've done way too many funerals this last, this last four months, I've done more funerals. I just i have lost count of the funerals. Um. I've done more suicides in the recent past, and I watched the heartbreak of families that stand around those caskets, and it just, it just kills me, so that brought up a whole bunch of stuff. Having to admit to my friend Darius that I had ignored his pain and his wound made the racism one really, really tough. I don't like talking about hell. But it's real and I can't get around it. It's in the Bible. But I watch people slowly check out when we have to talk about that one. I watch them and my heart just breaks. I hope you guys know this. If you have been around here for a long time? Um, I'm a pretty tender soul and it hurts my heart when I see people hurting. You know the hardest part of my job is not hopping off of this stand every week and hugging somebody. Because I see the pain as we deal with really difficult stuff. Um, the hostility, civility one. I didn't have to preach that one. I wish that I would have gotten an opportunity to. Um, I'm glad some of you don't have to read my mail some weeks because I'll tell you something. Um, preaching from this book does not make you very popular in Whatcom County. And not apologizing for what it says makes you even more Unpopular. Um, last year, I honored veterans, and I was blessed with a letter in which I was called a warmongering whore for saying thank you to the people who purchased the freedom that I use every week. kind of wanted to do the hostility one because I was feeling a little, mm. <laughs> but I gave it to Todd because he's bigger than I am, so... Um, <laughs> And the universalism one, i tell you what, do you have any idea how much easier my job would be if we could all just slap each other a high five and not talk about narrow gates or or narrow roads or, or broad roads that lead to destruction? I mean, if we could all just slap each other a high five and do five easy ways to have a bigger bank account every week, I mean, that would make my life a whole lot easier. But the truth is, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's why we use the name of Jesus every single time we can. They were all hard. And every one of them stretched me to have to look deep within my own soul and realize how, how short I fall with every single one of them. And I am so desperately thankful that God gave me the opportunity not to preach to you, but to have to examine my own heart every single week. Because believe it or not, I think I've come a long way, but i got even further to go. And I'm thankful for a church family that allows me to struggle and, and beat myself up sometimes and, 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 and be able to sit up here and go, I don't know the answer to that question. And if I don't know the answer to a question, I'll tell you. So they were all hard in a different way, and they were all glorious in a different way. And I thank you so much for your patience and your attention as we've walked through them together. Um, just so you know, people are already submitting ideas for Taboo 3. Gah! Um, <laughs> Yeah. So thank you for your questions tonight If you think of other ones on your way home Text the number Um, You know, it was really amazing Uh, Other times we've done this And we've had hundreds of questions in the queue On this particular group of of, uh, topics You guys were really, really, really quiet And I know that's not because I answered all your questions I think it's because they're hard topics if God triggers something in your head. Throw me a bone and send me another one. I'll answer it at the 9:30 or the 11:15. Okay, and then pray for my protection because the groups get a little more hostile as the weekend goes along. I'm just saying. Okay, 7:06. It's time to be done. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for Saturday night. Uh, this group is the ultimate sleep-in service, and I thank you for them. Um, I thank you that they, that they come on Saturday nights, Lord, maybe not even out of, out of convenience, but they come because they know that we, need, that we need a little extra room on Sunday mornings. So, God, I want to bless my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their questions tonight. I thank you for their love, their affirmation. As we all struggle with these difficult topics, God, there's no easy formulas to any of these. Father God, I pray that we would be the first to confess, the first to repent, and the first to seek your forgiveness. I pray that we would be the first to seek your blessing, regardless of our situation. And God, once again, I'm just thankful that you're a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of justice, and a God of truth. And that the pastor of Christ the King, as, as much as he falls short, God, I thank you that you never fall short, that you are always everything that we need. So God, I pray that we would go to you for blessing, that we'd go to you for answers, that we would go to you for both love and grace and justice and truth. And I pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. So over the last 10 weeks or so, we have been doing a series called Taboo. And it has been one of the most challenging series that I have ever had to preach through here at Christ the King. I Thank you for being the kind of a church where we could tackle these kinds of issues, where we could open up our Bibles, and whether we liked it or didn't like what the Bible had to say, to actually hear what it was that the Word of God had to testify into our lives. And today, we're going to do what we call Ask Me Anything, which means I'm going to be texted live questions during the service. So yeah, I need you to grab your smartphone. This is the one weekend where I will actually not be offended when I see your face glowing, even though I always assume you're just reading your Bible app. That's what I'm always assuming you're doing, not checking. Your fantasy football team score. So, um, uh, this is the number. We're going to pop up the number on the screen so that I can actually see it. There it is, right at the bottom there 360 285 3560. And we'd love to this weekend to limit your questions to the topics that we've covered in this taboo series because they have been heavy. They have been difficult as we have walked through them. I want to say a few things as we get started on this. Uh, Uh, We have a conviction at our church that Christianity is supposed to be a dialogue, that we're supposed to actually be able to have a conversation about these things. Um, Being a monologue preacher, um, I get lots of opportunities to talk at you, and hopefully it it feels more like I'm talking with you. Uh, But every once in a while, we open up the doors and, and we go unfiltered, uncensored, raw. I don't have any prep. I don't know what the questions are ahead of time. I show up here with my Bible and a lot of prayer, and and we just go with the questions that are coming, because we actually think we should be able to talk back and forth. I want to say a couple things about the answers as we go through this. Number one, um, the most difficult things about doing these weekends is that I don't have any context for your question. And that makes them difficult. So I do my best to try and paint a picture around them. I try to make some assumptions about where your question may be coming from. Um, uh, but, but I want to say that that's where I need you guys to pray for me because it's like, Holy Spirit, you need to talk. Otherwise, uh, I'm just kind of stabbing in the dark at some of these things. I'm also going to say that, that uh, it, there are some questions that are only going to be answered on the other side of heaven. And we need to know that, right? Right? There's just some questions that there aren't adequate answers for on this side of eternity. And so I need a little grace when it comes to that. I also want to challenge you to be... um to be human today, okay? I'm a person. If you cut me, I'll bleed. Uh, that's the way it works. And uh, um, I'm one finite human being who's a complete mess most of the time. If you don't believe that, ask my wife. Um, and so we do the best we can with what we've got today. And my goal is that we would spend more time talking about the name of Jesus in Scripture than my opinion or your opinion because um, I believe the only opinion that matters here today is the opinion of God, And it's the only one that's going to answer any of our questions anyway. So, over the last 10 weeks, we have talked about the heartbreak of addiction. And we have um, a recovery culture here at Christ the King Church, which means we love people who are on the journey towards sobriety and wholeness in Jesus. And we're not afraid to go after that. So, we talked about addiction, we talked about divorce. One weekend, uh, with the conviction that we believe that God's grace is enough to cover everything. We've talked about death and dying. That was a really nice light weekend. Um, There was a lot of laughter in the building that particular weekend. Um, Then we talked about suicide. Suicide which is heartbreaking for so many people. And I was astounded by the number of people at our church who've had a front row seat in the death of a loved one who took their own life. And so we talked through the pain of that and what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say about suicide. And and then we went nice and light and talked about racism for one weekend. And I was amazed again with, with the response to that. I want to thank you for being a church that just acknowledges the fact that that's a problem, that racism is a sin, that it needs to be eradicated in the name of Jesus, and that we are one family together. That was beautiful, I tell you. Um, bless my pastor's heart. Then we talked about hell for a week um, which was just awesome, and everybody smiled all the way through it, nodded their head, and that was great. Uh, And then Pastor Todd jumped in because Laurel and I disappeared for a couple weeks, and uh, he talked about hostility, specifically in the area of having a civil conversation, especially in the area of social media. And then last week, uh, my newly adopted son, uh, Lem Fishbook, with his new haircut, looks kind of like me, Um, I noticed that uh, on the video, Uh, he talked about universalism and came back to the truth of how Jesus makes a very exclusive claim that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that's what we've been talking about, and now it's time to throw some questions open. Uh, Here's what was interesting. We've done some of these weekends where we have had hundreds of questions in the queue beforehand. You guys were really quiet about these ones. Last night, we just had a handful to get started, and then it started picking up steam. And I think that's really a testimony to how heavy some of these topics have been. And so... um, I hope you're somewhat encouraged, and here's the good news. Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming, and we get to talk about happy stuff (laughs) coming up here really, really shortly, which will be great, okay? So the number again, 360-285-3560. If I don't get to your question, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It just means God has a different plan for it to be answered, okay? Because we can't cover all of them. We're going to do our best. All right, so no prep. Don't know what's coming. Here we go. All right, first question. If an addict repents and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and asks Him to be their Savior, but they continue to struggle with drinking or doing drugs, does that mean that they aren't truly saved? Wow, we're going to start nice and light this morning. That's just (laughs) awesome. You know, Martin Luther made a statement one time. He said this. He goes, when I came to Christ, I believed that I had drowned the old man in me, only to find out the rascal could swim. The Apostle Paul had exactly the same struggle in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things that I end up doing, I don't want to do. What a wretched human being I am. And if you stop at that part of the Scripture in the book of Romans, you can be completely disheartened. But Paul goes on and says, but thanks be to God. But thanks be to God who has given us so much life in Christ Jesus. Here's the reality When we come to Christ, we bring all of our junk and our garbage and our pain and our hurt and our wounds and our addictions, and we lay them at the foot of the cross, and we pray that He'll take it away. Jesus understands something. You will always be human which means you're going to have this struggle inside of you. I try to kill that old man in me every single day. But I tell you what, he is resilient. And he keeps coming back over and over again. So that's why Scripture also talks about this war, this struggle that happens within us every single day where we have to keep bringing that addiction back over and over again. We have to bring that broken marriage back over and over. We have to bring that ungodly attitude back over and over and over again. We have to subject it to the will of Jesus every single day. Sometimes it's not even hour by hour. Sometimes if if you're like me, it's minute by minute. I've got to do that work. So, to the person who asked this question, are you saved? I'll tell you what. If you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, my Bible says you're saved. <laughs> okay, you're saved, all right? Now, you're going to work out that faith with fear and trembling. It means you're going to shake in your boots every day as you keep bringing it back. And here's my encouragement to you. When you bring it back... I'll meet you at the foot of the cross with all my garbage too. And all my brothers and sisters here will meet you there. We'll meet you at the foot of the cross because here's the thing. We all stand equal in need every single day of that saving grace of Jesus. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It just means we need it a little bit more. Tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. So I'll tell you what, the only reason you think you're not saved is because you're listening to the accuser, Satan himself, who's trying to convince you otherwise. And I want to encourage you, I love this little phrase, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Okay? And you just say, look, you're lying. My Bible says I'm a saint. I don't live like it, if I'm honest. But Jesus looks at me that way. Jesus doesn't look at me as a daily constant failure. He looks at me as a redeemed son of God, a co-heir with Christ. I'm on the same playing field in the family of God as Jesus. That's crazy. That's crazy. And let me answer another question because it just keeps popping up, okay? So, um, Somebody actually challenged me one time and they said, Grant, we know what you're doing with the cross. We know what you're doing with it. Like it was at the front of the stage and now it's halfway in the room and pretty soon it's going to be in the commons and then pretty soon you're going to put it in the parking lot and then eventually it's going to disappear altogether. Okay, let's just correct that for just a second. <laughs> we put the cross in the center of the room so that it reminds us continuously that we are all equal in need of it every single day, and that it's because of that cross that we even have the opportunity to have a conversation about salvation. So we gather under its authority. We gather under its power because we all need it. And if you think for one second the guy with the microphone doesn't need the power of that cross, oh boy, have I got news for you. I'm not telling you or promising you it's going to stay there in the middle of the room. It may go back to the front again. If you come on Good Friday, it's right here in the center, and I hope to be crushed by it one year at some point because I needed that desperately in my life. So to whoever wrote the question, you believe who Jesus says you are, and you hold on to that salvation, and you work it out with the rest of us, okay? Next question. We're off to a good start, all right? Okay. Can you give me a little more clarity on universalism? (laughs) Nope, Um, but I'll I'll give it a try. (laughs) I get that it's a belief of a lot of things that have a little bit of truth. Can you expand on it a little and on the seriousness of this belief system? So, yeah, Um, universalism basically comes to this idea that eventually everybody's gonna get a little bit of it right and we're all gonna end up in heaven, and Jesus is gonna slap us a high five on the way through the doors, and everybody's gonna go, Oh, really? We were all, it's all about just being a good person. And you can find your way to it. Here's the problem with that kind of belief system it goes exactly against everything that Jesus taught about himself. Now, I'll tell you why it's not popular. It's not popular because we'd all like to think in our heart that we got some of it right and that Jesus is just going to call it good because we're all good people. Here's the problem with the Bible. The Bible says there are no good people. And we're like, what are you talking about? I'm a good person. I'll tell you what. I like to think I'm a good person, but I know the core of my soul, way down deep, where nobody else gets to see except for God. And we don't like it when the Bible has the audacity to say things like, there's two roads. One's really narrow and few people find it. The other one's broad and leads to destruction. We don't like it when Jesus says, I'm the gate. We don't like it when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I did a Greek check on the word me, and I'll tell you what it means. It means me. Not me, me. The Bible is very specific. We'd like to think that all roads lead to God. There's a problem with that though. Jesus said that's not true. Jesus said there's one way to the Father, and it's crossing over the beautiful bridge of that cross under the authority of Jesus' name, being welcomed into the kingdom based on His merit and not on our merits alone. So if you were here for Lem's message, which was so fantastic. You know, he talked about syncretism. He talks about how everybody's just trying to put it together. You, you know what? Universal, universalism at its core is this. It's trying to make ourselves feel better. Ah, uh, This group's cool and that group's cool and that cool, because nobody likes to be the exclusive one to draw a circle. But Jesus draws a circle. Now, here's the cool thing about it. The circle of Jesus has a perforated line and he invites you to step into the family. He wants you to be a part Of the single truth that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I didn't write that, but it is my opinion and my conviction. That's why you hear us talk about Jesus so much. We make jokes about it. We're a band with one song. We keep playing the same thing every single week because that name is that important. So, I want to encourage you to be discerning. Paul wrote to a a group of people known as the Bereans, and he said, this is what I love about you. You guys actually ask really difficult questions, and you struggle with the truth. And we can have a good dialogue with other faith groups holding to the conviction, still being respectful, and yet saying, according to this book, it's not universal that all people are going to get into heaven. And I know that's painful. But God said, the way to get in is to become a part of the family of Jesus and to live under the authority of this Word, even with the parts that are really, really difficult to wrap our heads around, which is why we've been talking about all of this taboo stuff. So um, can we expand on a little the seriousness of the belief system? I think the seriousness of the belief system is, is the fact that at the end of it, it ends without Christ. So, there's a level of urgency that goes along with that. That's why I'm so passionate about what we talk about every week and why we keep talking about Jesus, because Jesus was the one who actually put his hand up and said, There's only one way, and I'm it. I am the way, the truth, the life. And I don't apologize for that statement. I just want to align myself with the statement because the Bible says that's the way I get to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, test it, see it, push into it, ask difficult questions, and then God wants us to do that. But be careful. So years ago, um, one of the first times I met Bob Marvel from Cornwall, Bob was doing a message on universalism that all roads lead to God, and he used an illustration. He goes, it's interesting. He goes, the logic behind all roads lead to God is the same logic that goes with all phone numbers call the same person think about it. And so I actually sat on a Sunday morning, I sat at a little uh, reception area out there and the phone rang and I picked it up and it was Bob on the other end with all of Cornwall listening in on the conversation. And he goes, hey Grant, who is this? I said, it's Grant Fishbook from Christ the King. He goes, awesome. We're looking for Billy Graham. Is he at Christ the King this morning? We heard that this number, no matter what number we punched in, would ultimately get us to Billy Graham. And we need Billy to come on over here and preach a good message at Cornwall this morning. And I said, well, here's the trouble. Uh, Billy's not here. You called the wrong number. In order to get Billy Graham, you're going to have to call Billy Graham's number. And the truth of it is simple. If you want what Jesus offers, you've got to call Jesus. Okay? All right. Let's keep on going. There's a young teenager who's had a close friend commit suicide. What's a piece of advice on how to help myself with the grief process? First of all, I'm sorry that you lost your friend, because that hurts. And I'll cry with you because I've done way too many suicide funerals this past year. People, it's got to stop. And they're all young, and that hurts. So first of all, my heart goes out to you. I'll tell you what, my biggest resistance every single weekend is is resisting the feeling to jump off of this platform and just go and hug all the people that I know are hurting. I'd love to do that if I could. But one piece of advice that I would give you is this. Grief is a slow process and you've got to go slow. You can't rush through it. You can't. This whole idea that one day the pain's all going to go away, it's not. I'll tell you what, um, every time you see their locker at school, you're going to be reminded. For every person in the room who's lost a family member, you know what it feels like. Every time you come to Thanksgiving dinner, there's an empty spot. And it happens at Christmas, and it happens at Easter, and it brings that grief back. And so... What I love about my Bible is this. This is one of the descriptions of Jesus. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So I would encourage you with two pieces of advice. Go slowly through it and let Jesus walk with you. He understands grief and sorrow better than anybody. And what I mean by that is invite him into that process. I don't know if you know this, but some days grief is expressed in anger you can get really, really angry with Jesus and at Jesus because of all the questions you have in your mind. Here's what I've learned about my Savior. He can take it. Give Him your best shot. He'll take it. I've been so angry at God sometimes. I've, I've tried to punch from the inside. It's really hard to do that when He gets His big arms around you and just sucks you in real close and let the anger just pour out. I would encourage you to write out your grief. I have a prayer journal and I have a grief journal. In our family, we had 10 immediate family members diagnosed with cancer in less than two years when Laurel and I were first married, we lost six of them. So we had to learn how to walk through grief slowly, methodically. Some days you will be angry, some days you'll be resigned to it, other days you're just going to be frustrated and most days you're going to feel a little numb. But bringing your grief to Christ and allowing Him to walk alongside of you, is very, very healthy and healing. Um, You'll notice, we were doing the taboo series. You know, we actually try to have a plan sometimes. We did the grace to grieve class the weekend where we started talking about this pain because we wanted people. And I tell you what, the way people responded to that was so beautiful because I also want to encourage you to do this. You can't grieve alone. You can try, but you'll just be lonely. But if you can associate grief with another person who's walking along that journey, you're going to begin to realize something. Grief is actually normal to all human beings. We're all going to have to deal with it at some point. So go to the man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. Meet him at the foot of the cross where he paid the price for all of the grief and mourning and hold on to the promise. Revelation says that one day, When we get home, no more tears, no more pain, no more suicide, no more cancer, no more sickness. And God's going to put it all back together, and He's going to explain the whys behind all of it. So Don't do it alone. And if you're here live this morning, um, which I think you are, because I don't know which ones are live from last night and all the rest of it, after the service, a bunch of us are going to be up here at the front praying. Uh, Boy, I'd love to give you a hug. I feel like I need one right now. Holy cow. Okay, so next question. If God has unconditional love for His children, why do people go to hell? That hell week was heavy, wasn't it? That was a heavy, heavy topic. We don't like talking about it, and it's hard for me to talk about it because I watch people just slowly drop this curtain in front of their face like I just can't go there with you. Um, So the truth is this, God has unconditional love for His people, and that's why He gives you an opportunity to not choose hell. Because if you remember the weekend, if you were here for that service, God does not assign people to hell goes against His character. But as human beings, we can choose that, and we do that by leaving God out of the eternity question. If you remember, I quoted C.S. Lewis during the Hell series, or during the Hell sermon, and, and, and what I said was this, really, um, hell is the greatest monument in all of eternity, the greatest monument to human freedom, because at some point, To all of us, well, well, this is basically how it works. Either I say to God, thy will be done, or God will say to me, then thy will be done. And if I choose to live without Him, God will respect that decision. That doesn't mean He doesn't love me. That doesn't mean He won't pursue me. That doesn't mean He will not chase me. One of my favorite titles for God that came outside of the Bible is a one prolific writer called Him the Hound of Heaven. And if you've ever been a rebel or a prodigal, you learn something about God. If you run, He will chase you. And He will make your life infinitely miserable until you finally turn around and meet Him in His grace. So God's giving you an opportunity today. His unconditional love says, choose eternity with Jesus. His justice says, there actually is a decision that you need to make. And God wants you to choose eternity with Him. Don't make any mistake today. Maybe that's why you're here and that's why you needed to hear this. Maybe you needed to hear today that God is pleading with you, begging with you to take the sacrifice that He gave of His own life on the cross so that you can spend eternity with Him. I'm going to tell you something. I've done life without Jesus. I've done life with Jesus. Oh, for the love of God, do life with Jesus. It's just so much better, so much better, okay? God has unconditional love, but He also has justice. That's what allows the two of them to go together. If you're a parent, try just loving your kids and see how that goes for you. That little narcissistic savage will end up running your house. (laughs) Love is expressed with justice. Hey, guess what, Sonny? You don't get to do that, because it's not good for you, but I want to put my hand on the hot stove. No. People are like, oh, he slapped his hand. Yeah sometimes Johnny needs to realize he's not very bright at the age of four, okay? (laughs) He can't see everything up there. And what he needs is a loving father to come along and say, when things are glowing red hot, you don't put your hand on there, but I want to anyway. No. Why? Because I love you. And if you continue, you're going to meet daddy's justice. To some of the parents in the room, For the love of God, discover your justice side. Just saying, okay? Our kids' ministry will thank you. Amen. Now we're rolling with it. All right. Okay, next question. Let's keep going. What time is it anyway? Oh, seriously? Okay, keep going. Hostility sometimes comes because of a stance on biblical issues. True. How do we best speak and live biblical truth where there is tension and hostility. Uh, So I think it was last year, maybe the year before, we honored veterans here because I believe my Bible says that we're supposed to give honor to whom honor is. I got a letter the next week that called me a warmongering whore for honoring the veterans. Yeah, I know. It's just like, wow. What happened inside of me was not godly. I got hostile real quick. But I also understand something. If I'm going to be able to have a conversation with somebody about something we deeply disagree about, I got to go in like this, not like this. And I think it's a great opportunity to live out godly grace. What does Scripture say? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I'll tell you what, that counts even when you're right. Even when you're right, you don't get to lash out. You don't get to use this as a weapon. It doesn't work that way. I mean, uh, of anybody in all of history, Jesus would have the right to be hostile towards sinners, right? Cost him his life. But my Bible says this, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. If that's the response of Jesus, shouldn't that be our response too? Now believe me, I get beat up all the time because I believe this book. I've been called horrible things. I've been accused of being hate mongering. I have been accused of all different kinds of stuff because I like and love every part of this book, even the parts that make me really, really, really uncomfortable. But when someone's hostile towards me, it doesn't make an excuse for me to be hostile back. In fact, my Bible says in the book of Proverbs a soft answer turns away wrath. Church, we need to do a way better job of soft answers. Now, that doesn't mean that your answer has to lack conviction, and it doesn't mean that your answer needs to lack passion. It just means I need to wrap my conviction and my passion in a way that actually encourages the conversation to continue, not just shuts it down. God gave you one mouth and two ears for a reason. Do the math. No amen? I thought somebody would say amen. <laughs> and you know what I saw last night? Because Somebody asked a similar question. People go, yeah, I got one mouth and I got two ears, but I got 10 fingers and I'm going to type in all caps all day long. Can I ask you a question? How are your Facebook arguments going, and how many people have you led to Jesus that way? Um, I was with a a group of amazing people the other day who uh, were sitting together with me, and we were having a discussion about uh, a common lifestyle that we see in our culture that my Bible says is sinful. Now I'm gonna remind people, doesn't say it's any more sinful than than uh, than anything that I've ever done. I mean, my sin is as prolific as everything, and I don't grade sin because my Bible doesn't grade sin. There's no categories that every sin costs Jesus his life. That's the bottom line. And we were having a conversation that started off a little hostile. They were hostile to me because of what this book says in Romans chapter one, in Romans chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I had an opportunity to say, here's what I understand. The one thing you want from me more than anything is tolerance. Could I ask you the same favor? And I said it with a smile on my face. Could I ask you to practice your worldview and tolerate the fact that I hold this book as the highest authority in my life? And that I understand that our conversation and the content of this book is going to make you somewhat uncomfortable, but could we agree to stay in the dialogue? Could we agree that today we're both on a search for truth? Can we still have that conversation? The cool thing was when we finished our conversation that morning, um, I got invited back to the table. I think we need to focus on getting invited back to the table so that we can represent the heart of Jesus as best we can. Okay. We got four minutes left. Last question. We'll do one more. Okay. What was the most difficult topic to preach about and why? This one popped up last night too. Um, When I preached about addiction, it was hard because it was personal, because I have had my own struggles. When I preached about divorce, it wasn't from the position of, I'm still married. Actually, it brought me to my knees in gratitude because I'm still married because of Laurel's hope and the grace of Jesus. Left to my own, it probably wouldn't be. When I talked about death and dying, I had to live through all of the funerals that I've done for my own family members on top of all the ones that we did this summer, which is one of the reasons why Laurel and I took a little break for the last couple of weeks because we just needed some rest. When I talked about suicide, um, it was personal and hard because I've done way too many funerals for young people who just lost hope. The racism was a hard thing for me because I had to admit that in many cases I had turned a blind eye to a painful wound in the lives of some of my friends. And having to ask Darius for his forgiveness because I'd never asked him about what it felt like to hear his grandpa talk about what it was like to be told you can't drink out of that water fountain because of the color of your skin. And having to say, and ask him to say, I need you to forgive me. Because I just thought it's not that big of a deal. And having to, to, to step closer to his wound and have that conversation. And when I talked about hell, it was hard. I watched people walk out of one service because I know that it was just too painful for them. It was tough. Um, the hostility one, I just like, I'm glad Todd decided He was so gracious to take that particular topic because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I get stuff in my inbox and I just, my carnal human reaction is just like, I'm a Canadian hockey player. I know what to do with a stick. I mean, I just like (laughs) go pinata on you, like just unbelievable. like. And the universalism one, if you know a part of my story, I explored just about every faith system that I possibly could because I just wanted anything but the faith of my mother and father. And God took me on a great big circle walk, and I ended up right back at the foot of the cross where I started. So there wasn't one that was the most difficult, they were all difficult, and they were all glorious because I had to hold up a mirror to my own soul. And I thank every single person who gave me the topics because of the soul work that you allowed me to have to do and struggle with right up here in front of all of you. And it was a glorious wrestling match. And once again, I learned a lesson. Every time you fight with Jesus, He wins but He's very gracious to us in our loss. So uh, they were all difficult, and I'm thankful. Just so you know, uh, people are already sending me ideas for Taboo 3, and uh, in 2028 we'll think about doing that again. Um, (laughs) But it's been a glorious uh, walk together, and I want to thank you for being the kind of church that's willing to go there with me. And thank you for allowing me to be a person too, um, it's been great being able to walk through this stuff and struggle with it in front of you. Um, hopefully, we'll keep the honesty and the transparency up, and it's been great to do that. It is 10.35. We've got to be done because um, we got another service coming in. And 9.30, you need to pray for me because if you think you guys um, are an interesting crew, you should meet the 11.15 service. Um, yeah, I love them. I love them. I love them. Thank you. Awesome. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. God, thank You for uh, everything we've learned and we've found in Your Word over the last 10 weeks or so. God, I was thrilled um, when Diane, my assistant, pulled all the Scripture out over the last weeks, and it it filled more than eight pages in small font. And God, the reason I'm thankful for that is because I know all the things that I say are going to just pass away, but you promised that your word would never come back empty. So God, for every word of Scripture that we've been able to say over the last 10 weeks or so, I'm thankful. God, thank you for this church family and for their grace, for their pushback, for their feedback. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would all be better for coming face-to-face with the taboo topics of our culture. And God, equip us to be gracious, loving, and kind as we hold on to your truth and your justice this week. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. So, we have been doing a series called Taboo for about the last 10 weeks. We've done two of these, and in both cases, I have never been more challenged to preach on difficult, difficult topics Where faith and real life just go head to head with each other. And so what we're going to do this morning is we've done this about three times. And every time we plan one of these, it seems like a great idea when we put it on the calendar. And then I end up sitting here on a stool waiting for people to uh, send me questions with which I have no prep or opportunity to get ready for. And then it just doesn't seem as smart once I'm actually sitting on the stool but in a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to text in live questions. This week, we're asking that you kind of limit them to the 10 taboo topics that we have been talking about. Uh, and like I said, we believe that Christianity is supposed to be a dialogue, not just a monologue. And so uh, in a few moments, I'm going to start just taking questions. Like I said, no prep. Didn't get a chance. I don't know what the questions are ahead of time. And uh, can we put the number up on the bottom of the screen? So that's the number right down there, 360 360-285-3560. Other weekends we've done this and we have had hundreds of questions pour in before we even got started. This time around, you guys have been very quiet. And I think a reason for that is because these are difficult, heavy topics to walk through. And so we're going to keep it up there. We've got a stockpile of some questions, but 360-285-3560. I want to say a couple of things about the answers before we go. First of all, it's impossible to give you a comprehensive answer on any one of these topics in a matter of minutes. It's just not possible. So you're going to need to give me some grace. And hopefully the grace can come with this idea attached to it. You know, there are some answers that we're not going to ever get satisfactorily until we're on the other side of heaven, right? Until we get to eternity. And nothing that I can say as a broken, fallible human being is going to be able to answer some of these questions, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So I need you to be gracious, I need to be loving, need to be supportive. If you're a prayer person, now would be the time to commence praying for Grant so that he doesn't do any damage today. That would be my biggest prayer. Um, and that that the miracle of of the Holy Spirit would happen where where maybe God just whispers one or two things to you through my broken, stuttering answers. And so we're going to enter into this time together. I want to also say this. I am so proud to be a part of a church that's willing to go here. Over the last weeks, I mean, we have covered addiction, which is a heartbreaking topic. We've talked about divorce, which has affected so many people inside of this room. We had a nice light week when we talked about death and dying, um, and everybody was just smiling and happy through the whole message. It was just so cool. Um, And then we went a little lighter and we talked about suicide. And that broke so many people's hearts because I had no idea how suicide had affected so many families here in our own church. Then we talked about racism, and we came face to face with a reality that racism happens here, that racism is a sin, and that it needs to be eradicated in the name of Jesus by Jesus' followers because that's just simply the right thing to do because God created all of us equal in need of a Savior at the foot of the cross. We talked about hell, that was a nice light one, and our hearts were broken to the fact that sometimes the Bible says things that we're not really crazy about, and often our response to that is to try and make things a little easier on ourselves. We create different kinds of ideologies or belief systems around it to make ourselves feel a little bit better. That was a heavy week. And then I decided to take a little bit of a break because I've been fairly exhausted this fall, too many funerals going on, and Pastor Todd spoke eloquently about hostility and how to actually have civil conversations, specifically in the area of social media, where I think Christians do a really great job making complete fools of themselves, engaging in... Am I passionate? Did you hear that? About, anyway, um, <laughs> because we just engage in these conversations, and, and I always end up asking the same thing. How's your conversation working for you, and how many people have you led to Jesus through your argument? just asking. That's kind of where we're going to go today. And then last week, Pastor Lem talked about universalism and how it's so easy to say, boy, it just makes us feel so much better to to think that maybe all roads lead to heaven, but then we've got this real problem because Jesus says that's not the way it works. So we've been talking about all of these, and now... I'm going to throw myself out there, and I'm going to take a bunch of questions that you can send in right this second, and there's a group of people in the back trying to get as many of them. We're going to get through as many as we can. I'm going to tell you this. If I don't get to your question, it's not because it doesn't matter. It's because I ran out of time, okay? And you need to be nice because I'm a human being, and if you cut me, I'll bleed, and uh, that wouldn't be cool. So anyways, all right. First question. Let's go. For our hostility sermon, we learned that we need to honor those in authority, How does our Bible show us to question authority in an honorable way rather than a hostile way? Oh, we're going to start off nice and light and just easy answer. Um, uh, Because the answer is, you just do it, people. That's how it works. Um, You know, the Bible says that, that we are to respect the authorities that are placed over top of us because God had a part in putting that authority there. Now, you may disagree with their ideology. You may disagree with their politics. You may disagree with their perception of your life. But here's the part where we get in trouble. This conversation only goes hostile when we forget that the person on the receiving end of our quote-unquote honor or dishonor is still a human being that was worthy of Jesus dying for. And sometimes we just think because they're in the public sector that we have every right to just lash out or make fun or or to ridicule them and... uh, And I don't think that honors what God says or how God created that human being, even though you may have deep, deep deep-seated disagreements with them. So in Romans uh, 11, 12, and 13, there's there's a great chunk there where Paul is actually talking about living underneath of oppression. And some of you feel like you're under oppression. Some of you don't feel that way at all. That's the cool thing about Christ the King is you're still a part of one family, and you need to treat each other like brothers and sisters whether you agree or not. And somebody needs to say amen Amen. because we need to do that together. But in the book of Romans right there, Paul is actually saying, look, I want you to live and thrive underneath of this government. And he's describing describing at that time a government that was completely broken, was massacring and killing Christians who was putting unbelievable pressure. And he still said, you still need to live underneath of that and shine like the light of Jesus in the midst of it. So I think in answer to the question, how do we question authority in an honorable way, it's this. You recognize that the person you're questioning is still a human being. You acknowledge the fact that the thumbprint of God is still on their soul, even though you may disagree with their politics. And you stay in the conversation for a really, really long time. And you act in an honorable way, and you speak. You can be critical of somebody without being hostile towards them. And the question is this, the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except that which is supposed to be encouraging. So that doesn't mean we need to be all Pollyanna and go, well, everything's great and wonderful and good like that. No, but you can state things in a way that still give honor to a person's human soul while questioning something that you may not like about their ideology or their philosophy. I would, I would put it this way, of, of all of the people on the face of the planet that Jesus could take issue with, we would probably be at the top of the list. And yet Jesus calls us saints and brothers and sisters. And He looks at us as dearly loved children of God, not failures. I think we need to give the rest of His creation the same kind of grace while being gracious in our response to people even when we have a disagreement. Disagreement. Cool? All right, let's keep on going. All right, next question. Some people believe that those who commit suicide are doomed to suffer for eternity. Is there a possibility for redemption after their death? Well, in answer to the second part of the question, if you go back to the suicide sermon, we talked about the fact that I do not believe the Bible teaches that suicide is an unforgivable or unpardonable sin. The Bible says there's only one unpardonable sin, and that is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which I believe means to die as a rebel and not give our heart fully to Christ. Okay? I think that's what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 8, neither height nor depth, angels, principalities, or powers. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But I would answer the question here, is there a possibility for redemption after their death? The Bible doesn't teach that that's an option. But I think we need to be careful with that. Let me put it this way. The Bible says in God's world, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Bible also says that God is implicit when it comes to how He would speak to every single person. And there may be people in this room right now who are considering that the world would somehow be better if you weren't in it. If you remember, Scripture spoke clearly to us when God said, Two words to every person who's entertaining that thought. Choose life. Period. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what this church wants for you. That's what I want for you. That's what people who love you want for you. We want you to choose life because that's what Jesus said that he wanted for you. So because God is outside of time and space, the reality is this. None of us have any idea what happens in the final moments of anyone's life. But we know this to be true. Jesus is there, and He has one message, and that message is choose life. So while it may be heartbreaking to think about it, we need to trust Jesus more than ever in the final moments of somebody else's life, knowing that even if Jesus says choose life and the person disobeys them, I want to remind you of something. Anybody else in the room ever disobeyed God without knowing what was going to happen in the next second? So here's what I can tell you. I'm going to have to trust Jesus with those final seconds, knowing that God does draw a line when it comes to time. And what he would say to all of us is use this time, redeem this time right now by having a personal relationship with Jesus and living for him. But I need to trust him with those final seconds and those final conversations because I know this about whoever it was that you lost. Nobody loves them more than Jesus loved them. Nobody understands them more than Jesus understood them, and nobody gets to judge them other than Jesus, and Jesus is good, right, just, and fair. So you need to live with the grace to be able to live with that right now, and I know it's not easy. My heart breaks for your pain. I wish I could grab you and hug you right now. That's one of the things I have to resist as a shepherd is hopping off the stage while I'm preaching and hugging somebody that I know is having a hard time with one of our topics but I have to trust that God's got big enough arms to wrap around you in that moment too. Okay? All right, let's move on to the next one. Christianity has many denominations. Boy, isn't that true and isn't that a tragedy? All believe slightly different things. Isn't that universalism? And what about Mormons? Are they Christians? Ha <laughs> 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 <Wee. laughs> Anybody want a job? Uh, just, it's up for grabs right now. And Pastor Derek will answer this question. No, okay. So, um, Christianity does have all different denominations, and that's because people express their love for God in different ways. Um, I grew up in a Baptist denomination. Here's what we had in common. It's, it, it's the reality and the identity of Jesus. That's what actually puts it in different things. And as human beings, can we just be super honest that we do a really good job of dividing ourselves, even though John 17 says that Jesus is at the apex of His joy when we live together in unity. Okay? So we love every church in Whatcom County that preaches Jesus and the Bible as, as the inherent as the inerrant perfect w- word of God. We, we do. We support them. We love them. We walk alongside of them. They express their love and their faith in Jesus in different ways at different times through different means. And I think all of that can be beautiful as long as we realize that as far as it goes and depends on us, this is, there's one kingdom of God in Watcom County, and that big K kingdom belongs to Jesus, and we don't have ownership over it. It all belongs to Him, and it needs to stay with Him. Amen? Okay, so, is that universalism? No, it's not. Universalism teaches that all roads eventually lead to God. There's a problem with that. Jesus says that's not true. Jesus says there's one gate, and it's Him. Jesus says there's two roads, a narrow road that very few people find and a broad road that leads to destruction. The Bible says, Jesus says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, there's only one way to get to my Father, and that's through me. And I know that seems very, very exclusive. It is. Universalism says, eventually we're all going to get there. God's going to slap us a high five into heaven, and you can do it any way that you want to. But there's a problem with that. Jesus says, that's not true. So, denominations are different human expressions of worship for God. Universalism says every road's going to get you there. So let me answer the second question. And I'm not going to be just specific with Mormons. I'm going I'm to bring in all of the different faith groups at the same time. Here's the first question you should ask when a group of people show up and say, no, our way is the only way to get to heaven. You've got to ask this question, who's Jesus? Amen. Who is Jesus? Because every group that does not believe all of the Bible will eventually paint Jesus out of the picture. He will become the Son of God, but not God the Son. He will become sort of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but not really. And they will begin to limit Him and they will put constraints on top of Him instead of allowing Him to be... Every single thing that this authoritative book says that Jesus is. So you need to test what it is that people bring you and ask the question, who is Jesus and under whose authority are you making those claims? One of the things that that I love about this church is we let Jesus and this book speak for himself. So every single week I can tell you something. You don't have an argument with me. You've got an argument with him, and you've got an argument with his letter, as long as I'm being as accurate as I possibly can be. Now, will I screw it up? Probably. (laughs) When? Maybe next week. Um, But we still hold this as our final authority. Just because someone says they are a big C Christian doesn't necessarily mean they are, because the Bible says that the only people… There's one verse in Scripture that I love. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And it is the name of Jesus. And if their theology and their church, no matter its breadth or size, if it doesn't agree with that single statement, they're not Christians. They're not. I don't even like the word Christian anymore because it just doesn't seem to mean much. You know what I'm obsessed with? Let's be followers of Jesus. That just makes it really clear. Okay? All right. All right. Next one. Is anybody else sweating in the room right now? I think it's just dripping. That's gross. How do you navigate life after divorce with grace toward an ex-spouse? That's a good question. Let me tell you a story. A few years ago, a couple came and knocked on my door and sat down. I have four big soft chairs in my office. Um, It's not the principal's office, but a lot of people come and they just hang out. And I love hanging out with them because the rest of the week I hang out with pastors all the time and pastors are weird. I'm just going to say, okay, so um, (laughs) I love them, but we're an interesting crew. And this couple came in and they had just signed their divorce papers. And they were heartbroken because they had done everything they could to put the pieces of their relationship together. We talked in the series about biblical grounds for divorce, and I used these words, God gave a regrettable permission, which means this, is there hope and grace after a divorce? You bet there is. You know why? Because God's good. The Bible says God hates divorce. The reason He does that is because of what it does to His children. Nowhere in Scripture does it say God hates divorced people. He loves people even when they can't put the relational pieces together. But this couple came together. They were heartbroken. They were hurting. The papers had already been signed. But what they did in my office was the most incredible thing. They both repented, confessed, and asked for each other's blessing. And they brought all their garbage and left it at the foot of the cross together. Years later, they went their own different directions, and God brought somebody else into their life, which was beautiful. And because they had done the right work, and I'm going to tell you this, you can't clean somebody else's side of the street, but you can clean yours. And even if they don't forgive you, you can forgive them. And if you don't, even if they don't come to you and make it right... You can still forgive and release and let it go. You can choose not to be caught up in bitterness. You can choose that. Here is the beautiful thing. They both ended up going their own ways. God brought other people into their lives. And they actually attended each other's weddings as a way of saying, I bless you, even though this is still really hard and it's heartbreaking. Now I know that's going to get me into all kinds of trouble with certain people. I'm okay with that. God gave me one thing in my life as a gift. It's grace. I don't deserve it, and it doesn't make any sense. But it's a beautiful gift. And so I would say you need to navigate life after divorce towards an ex-spouse By doing the same thing that we talked about when it came to honoring them as a human being in spite of all of the ways they may have hurt you or wounded you. You need to look at them as a dearly loved child of God with the thumbprint of God in the center of their soul and that they are worthy of honor and respect because Jesus paid for their life just like he paid for yours with the gift and the grace of his own life. So you need to find the humanity in each other. You need to love each other well. And I would say this, if there's kids involved... You're teaching your children how to do it the right way by loving each other in spite of your faults. Your kids are going to learn how to do relationships based on how you do it, even if it's broken. So mom and dad, I'm going to tell you, God will hold you accountable for the story that you, that you imprint on your children when it comes to how they're going to handle their relationships down the road. Treat, treat, treat them well, teach them well, and let grace and mercy be the banner under which you operate then God can bless. Then God can bless. All right? Okay. Let's keep on moving. That's a good question, by the way. How does one recover from a life of addiction which resulted in stealing, cheating, and betrayal of those who loved you most? How do you recover? So let's be honest, okay? Um... We've all stolen, we've all betrayed, and we've all cheated. Can we wrap our head around that? I stole most of my life from God's blessing because I just wanted to do my own thing. I've betrayed Jesus more times than I can count. And I've cheated on Jesus over and over and over again. And yet, there's a promise of wholeness that comes when we're willing to come back underneath of the love and grace of God. And the way we do that is by repenting and confessing and asking God to forgive us. That, that recovery, all of that brokenness is going to take time to heal. And, and like you can't clean somebody else's side of the street, you also can't make somebody forgive you. But you can do this. You can be consistent. And you can, instead of stealing from God, you can give back to God. Instead of cheating on Jesus, you can be loyal and faithful to Jesus. Instead of betraying the love of your soul, you can actually be committed to and faithful to the lover of your soul. And you can walk alongside in a a way that honors God and allow Him to do the healing in other people's lives. I can say this, not only from personal experience, but also from the experience of so many people in our church, because we are a church that embraces those who are on a recovery journey. Don't ever underestimate the power of God to heal broken relationships that you screwed up. God the Father is the same as the one who looked for the prodigal every single day and couldn't wait for him to run home. And he's looking in exactly the same way at each and every one of us. So you do this. You stay faithful to Jesus. You love him with everything that you can. You trust him to put the pieces back together again. And you rebuild trust. And I'll tell you how you do that. You rebuild trust by doing the right thing for a very, 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 very long time. The Bible says, though our sins be as scarlet, He can wash us as white as snow. Though your story may be broken, God promises you that He will give you beauty for your ashes if you're willing to bring it to Him. Okay? What time we got here? Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Uh, a couple more. Let's keep going. I'm a freshman in high school. People are always making racist jokes, and I don't know how to deal with it. What would you suggest? Man, that stuff just gets me. First of all, I am sorry that someone is judging you based on the color of your skin instead of the content of your character. It's wrong, and it grieves my heart. And I would say this you have an opportunity in that moment to graciously speak truth. And it's good for you to say, that's wrong. And it needs to stop. Because I promise you, if they're doing it for with you, they're probably doing it with somebody else. I saw a tweet from a, a fellow pastor the other day, who I love very much. His name is Rob. Rob pastors a church that we helped plant years ago, and Rob and Katie have done this beautiful job of adopting children from other parts of the world. Rob. Um, And I love the smile that goes across his face when I've said this before. Uh, Rob and Katie have have assembled a United Nations in their own home. (laughs) It's beautiful. But he tweeted the other day, and he said, he goes, there's just so much anger inside of me because parents are making it okay for other children to make racist comments against my kids. You know, the truth is we're all God's kids, and we all share that in common. The Bible says that out of one man, God created everything. So we all have common parents, common heritage, common lineage, and and it's the beauty of the differences that make us, we should celebrate God's creativity in this. So I would say this, it's okay for you to say, that's wrong. And it's okay for you to acknowledge the beauty within yourself as to how God made you. And I want you to know something. You're not alone. Because when they make a comment about you and you belong to us, they're taking a shot at family and we're not okay with that, which means you are not alone. We will stand with you in the face of racism. Somebody better say amen to that. Hey So I would suggest this in a gracious, loving and quiet way, and let me tell you why quiet, because the Bible says a soft answer turns away anger. And so sometimes instead of trying to get into a barking competition with somebody who's already showing their ignorance, we actually need to change a different road and to quietly say, what you just said was wrong. It was completely inappropriate because I was made in the image of Almighty God, and God doesn't make mistakes." And you need to know from now on, everyone in this room that's seen this question will be held accountable for it, and we need to pray for this courageous young freshman, whoever you are. And if you're here in the service right now, I would love nothing more than to pray with you on behalf of your spiritual family. And I'd love to give you a hug because I'm probably going to need one when we're done too. So anyways, okay, last one, 1214. I got a couple more minutes. Final question. What taboo topic have you struggled with personally? All of them. Addiction, I know all too well, maybe not in the way you understand it, but it's caused a lot of pain for the people that I love. I'm not divorced, and it's not because of anything I've done, it's because of the love and patience of my incredible wife and the goodness of God, so that one's personal. Death and dying, Laurel and I, in the first couple of years of our, of our marriage, we had 10 family members diagnosed with terminal slash cancer. We lost six. And the reason I took a couple of weeks off is because there's just been so much heartache and funerals in the last little bit, and we just needed a chance to get away and rest together. Suicide, I've done more suicides in the last couple of years. I never want to do another one. So if you're questioning life today, I got the same two words for you that Jesus does. Choose life. Racism, I had to admit, if you were here that weekend, I had to admit to my friend Darius that I was a horrible friend to him because I'd never asked him questions about how it felt for him as a proud black man. To have a story, a heritage where his grandfather was told he was not allowed to drink out of that fountain because of the color of his skin. I never bothered to ask him how that hurt. So I had to come face to face with my own prejudice. The hell one was a tough one because I'm, a, if you've noticed, I'm a, a kind of a tender soul. I don't like preaching and watching that big curtain just come down and somebody's in the front of somebody's face, I don't like watching people change their body language and then walk out the door because the idea of hell is just a really tough idea, but that I can't sidestep it because Jesus talked about it more than anybody. So that one was hard. The civility one, um, I kind of wanted to take that one. Because honestly, I I, I struggle sometimes with a little bit of hostility because of some of the letters that come to my office. I honored veterans one year, and I got a letter the next week in which I was called a warmongering whore because I would dare to honor people who had protected our freedom. And in that moment, I wanted to revert to my Canadian hockey roots (laughs) because I know what to do with the stick if you'll get close enough to me, I'm just saying. But Todd was gracious enough to cover that one, and and universalism, you know, in in my own quiet way, I checked out every alternative faith that I possibly could in one season of my life, because the one thing that I didn't really want was the faith of my mom and dad. And I ended up walking in a great big circle, and ended up right back at the foot of the cross where I started. So I've struggled with every single one of them. And what I love about this church is that you still allow me to struggle and be your pastor. So thanks for being that kind of church. I don't know many churches where the pastor gets to be a person. So unbelievably thankful for this group of people. You astound me with your grace and your patience. And the crazy thing is, people are already sending in topics for Taboo Three, and we'll do it in 2028, because um, <laughs> we're going to need a little time to recover from this one. Um, but you know what? We're all on a journey together. I'll tell you one quick story. So not long ago, somebody came, and they were all upset because they basically accused me of moving of moving the cross out of Christ the King, because it was on the stage, and, and then we put it in the middle of the room, and they thought, y'all, eventually you're going to stick it in the comments, and then pretty soon you're going to put it in the parking lot, then it's going to be gone altogether. <laughs> you know why we put the cross for a while in the center of the room? So there would be a reminder to all of us that we're all equal in need underneath of that cross. Because we're all dealing with this stuff, and to say we're not well, that's the pride of sin, or that's the sin of pride, and that just qualified you to come and join us at the foot of the cross too. So congratulations, we welcome you there with all the rest of us screw-ups, okay? But we put it there to remind ourselves just how deeply we need Jesus every single week. So I want to thank you for being the kind of a faith family that can struggle and wrestle. We're always kind of going to kind of be like Jacob. We're going to wrestle with God. Here's what I've learned about the glorious struggle with Jesus. You can fight with him, but you'll never win. (laughs) He's just too strong. And sometimes he'll love you enough to break your hip so that you'll walk with a limp and remind everybody else that we're all just limping our way across the finish line of heaven. And my prayer is that we will stagger across the finish line together. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, these are tough questions, but they come from hearts that desperately want to meet you and know you better. So God, we bring all of our stuff and we lay it at the foot of the cross and we ask, would you give us the grace and the discipline to not pick it back up? God, as we've walked through these difficult topics, we've done so with a promise that you'll meet us in the struggle and we celebrate you as the ultimate victor. So, God, would You keep us engaged, keep us talking, keep us pushing hard. And God, somehow out of this morning, I pray that Your name would be glorified by Your people. Father God, thank You for Your patience, Your love, Your mercy, and Your truth and Your justice. God, we celebrate You as the King of our freedom today. And the answer to all of our questions. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.